You're tuned into the Chug LLP's podcast. We are a full-service legal, immigration, and tax firm with a global outlook. We partner with businesses to deliver innovative, customized solutions to their most pressing challenges. Join us as we tackle some pertinent issues. Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm Ariana Gonzalez from Chug Attorneys and CPAs, tuning in from our San Diego office. And joining me today is attorney Ishan Anand from our Herndon, Virginia office. Hi there, Ishan, and welcome. Hi, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for being here. So for today's topic, we're going to be discussing deportation defense, knowing your rights and options. Just a quick disclaimer before we begin, this conversation is for informational purposes only and does not create an attorney-client relationship. Let's get started. So let's start with the basics, Ishan. Can you please explain what removal defense means? Removal defense, basically, in a nutshell, if we talk about, it's uh, the defensive techniques or process where we use different strategies to defend a client who is in deportation or removal proceedings in front of the judge. That's really helpful. Thank you. So typically, what triggers this removal proceeding against an individual? There's a series of things that many things can trigger. Suppose you are in the U.S. and uh, you are unlawful. You don't have any status. DHS can initiate proceedings against you. Or suppose you enter the country illegally and uh, the CBP, the officers, they caught you there and then they want to initiate proceedings against you. They put you in deportation, give you an NTA, which is a notice to appear in front of the judge. Also, what happens at the border, they basically, they interview you. So why you entered this country illegally, why you tried this and where are you from? All the identification things happen there. So there's an interview that's called Credible Fear Interview. And in that interview, the officer's notes of the interview technically becomes your asylum application. And depending on the notes, they determine that if they would like to send you back, which is called expedite removal, directly remove you from the U.S., or put you in deportation where you will have a chance to present your case in front of the judge. So, so many things. Also, maybe if you were in the U.S. in a status and you have committed something, a serious crime, felony, aggravated felony, then you can be put in deportation. There's a lot of things that can trigger proceeding against you. Yeah, so it does sound like there are quite a few things that can trigger um, removal proceedings. So let's say, for example, somebody just received a notice to appear for a removal proceeding. What's the first thing someone should do in this instance? So I would say just look for a lawyer. So generally, when, when the notice of a, a notice to appear comes to you, maybe in mail or, you know, it's handed over to you via hand, they also give you a list list of your rights, list of pro bono attorneys, list of organizations that they do, you know, this, uh, all these global defense things for you for low cost. 
So first things first, you should go and look out for an attorney who can strategize the case for you. So notice to appear and then you have to see what what options you have of defense. There are several options that one can have depending on the situation. There are different situations and then you have different options. So why is it so important to get legal representation early on in the process as opposed to giving it some time and, and waiting it out? Because, see, now we are talking about the court proceedings, right? And one thing in court proceedings, we know that the first plea, which is called a pleading, is the most important document that you send to the court. Meaning, you cannot bring in new relief options later on. So the first document that you send to the court has everything that your honor these are the factual allegations against me. The DHS wants me removed, and the DHS is alleging one, two, three, four, whatever allegations there are. And either I am agreeing with those allegations or I deny those allegations, right? And these are the forms of relief that I'm seeking. So if you miss anything in that, and if your pleading is incomplete, maybe wrongfully filed, it may lead to serious consequences later down the road. So it's very, very important that your first appearance from the judge is properly, you know, you file your papers properly. So it sounds pretty essential to, to get an immigration attorney as soon as you can during this process. So let's talk about what happens at the first immigration court hearing. How should one prepare? You said we have to, to bring the information and, and say what are the charges against us, if, if we're pleading guilty or not, and then, you know, what our options are. So how would one prepare for this first immigration court hearing? So first of all, first immigration court hearing is called the master calendar uh, hearing. All right, so where uh, they put you in the calendar for your case to be presented. All right, so the master hearing is where you send out or you file the pleadings, the initial pleading where you set out, okay, Your Honor, I agree with this allegation. I disagree. I deny this allegation. And maybe I'm seeking... I don't know, maybe asylum I'm seeking. Maybe I'm seeking withholding of removal or I'm seeking cancellation of removal or I'm, I'm seeking protection of the cat. There are so many things that we do, right? So for and every case that, so suppose I'm seeking asylum, then the documentation would be different than if I'm seeking cancellation of removal. So the documentation and uh, the preparation depends on the relief you are seeking from the court. So the attorney will, will cover everything that you need to prepare for the first court hearing. We don't necessarily have to worry about that. So you did mention the master calendar hearing. On that topic, could you touch on the difference between a master calendar hearing and an individual merits hearing? So again, so the master calendar is where you just go present yourself, just accept or deny allegation and tell the judge what you are seeking, right? Then what you are seeking, then the judge will give you a date. That date would be the date for your 
merit sharing, which we, we call we also call it individual hearing. So in that day, the, at the individual hearing, you will basically present your case. You're not seeking relief now. You already did that in the first hearing. You told the judge what you want. Now what you're doing is basically presenting your case in favor of your relief. Then DHS, meaning the prosecution, also will have chance to attack you. So it's going to be like, you know, like uh, question answers, witnessing, documentation, and, uh, you know, cross-examination and all those things. It's, it's kind of a fight that's going to happen at the individual marriage hearing. That's great to know. So what about bail? Do we have to talk about that? Are there chances of getting bail? What factors are considered? Does that play a part in this? Yes. So if the client is detained, right, then we talk about bail. Now the bail is, I remember my senior used to tell me, my boss used to tell me that our clients are innocent until proven guilty. (laughs) So I, I was like, yes. So the, re- the thing is, you cannot detain someone if someone is not proven guilty in, 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 you know, for any crime. So what happens if DHS wants to detain someone, right? We have an option to put a bond. And the judge will determine the amount of bond. Bond is like, a, you know, just put forward some money and say, you know, it's kind of a security that I'm not going to run away. Bond is for people generally, there are factors which can be considered when you file for a bond. Generally, is a flight, flight risk, meaning the person will just run away and never show up. And if, a, if someone is a security threat, threat to public or national security or border security, depends on what kind of... Uh, if you have clear background, if you have no criminal issues, that covers one thing, that you are not a threat. Then if you have family ties in the U.S. and um, somebody comes in and says, you know, this guy will stay with me and I'll make sure, or the attorney says that I will make sure that this guy comes to the hearing because I put my representation here. And uh, so you, you are eligible for uh, a bond. So we have to show two things, that the person is not flight risk and the person is not danger to the society. That's great to know. So we do have some options to apply for, for bail and get approved. So can you break down the main options for relief from removal, like asylum or adjustment of status? Do you have some insight on that? Yeah. So first things first depends on the situation. Filing asylum is one thing. Getting asylum is very different. Okay, so you need to have a case for asylum. But generally in removal defense, asylum is the most uh, commonly used practice uh, when somebody comes to the border, right, and just tries to enter the border illegally. We assume they have asylum claim because they always say most often they say that we fear returning to our country that because this happened, that happened. So what generally the the general practice is to fight consolidated claim. When I say a consolidated claim, meaning 
claim for asylum, withholding of removal, and protection under CAT. So these three defensive techniques generally attorneys file together. So you want to talk about like one by one or just tell you the defensive like whatever we do. See, adjustment of status is something else. Adjustment happens later down the road because somebody is already eligible for adjustment, most likely will not be in removal proceedings. Let's keep it to the the options for relief from removal. So you talked about, you know, making sure you have the documentation, why you came here and that you feared for your life. What kind of other documents should one gather for a strong defense case in this instance? Let's talk about, let's talk one by one, different defensive techniques. So then, then I can uh, be, basically, then I will be able to tell you what documents you need. Suppose you have an asylum claim, right? The document you need for asylum claim is to, first of all, to show that you have suffered either suffered past persecution, meaning you have suffered past harm from state actor. So here's a distinction. Harm must be from a state actor, meaning government or government-like people, police, you know, something like state actor, all right? So people generally what believe they have misconception that any kind of harm is fine for asylum. That is not private entity. If a private party bothers you, harms you, that is not, first of all, the asylum claim. So harm must be, you must have suffered harm through state actor. If if it's not a state actor, then the state is unwilling or unable to protect you from that private actor. Maybe gangs sometimes harm you or, you know, different people harm you, but the government is is unable to protect you. So that's number one, the past persecution, or you have well-founded fear of future persecution, meaning if you go back to your country, there are chances that you will suffer persecution. Now, the thing is, if you have suffered past persecution, there is a rebuttable presumption that you will suffer future persecution. Okay, and uh, if you do not have past persecution, then the future persecution, the well-founded fear that you have for future persecution must be genuine and reasonable, all right? Now, the probability that you will suffer future persecution should be over 10%. It's a very low bar, meaning even if you prove that I will suffer future persecution there are 11% chances. You're fine. All right. Now, the persecution must be based or the reason why you suffered that harm must be based or it must have a nexus, meaning a connection between the harm and the protective grounds, meaning there, it's not like any kind of harm that is protected. The harm that you suffer may be based on your race, religion, your nationality, your political opinion, or if you are a member of a group that is being frowned upon, people don't see them equals, right? There's a group of people that are always discriminated. And if you are a member of that group, that's why you were harmed. That's when you are protected under asylum. So 
documentation you need to prove is that you suffered harm. Maybe you have a police report. Maybe you have affidavits, friends, families, right? And if you don't have a police report, then you can just sim simply submit that you tried to file a police report, but then police started beating you up. That happens. And that's like a, that's a ground for asylum, that police is involved, that, that that's a state actor, right? Then the country report. You also submit a country report saying that uh, the country has this these things that generally police is always, always involved in these kind of things. Maybe the country has gang problems, and this guy has suffered from the gangs. So those things for asylum. Then goes to withholding of removal. Withholding of removal is different than asylum. It's a higher standard. Whatever we covered in asylum comes in withholding of removal, but the percentage of basically that you will suffer a future harm is higher, more likely than not, meaning more than 50%. Now you don't have to show 10, more than 10%. Now to show more likely than not, I will suffer this harm if I go back to my country. Well, asylum gives you green card and opportunity to be a citizen. However, withholding of removal is just a temporary solution. It does not give you any benefit except a work permit. And your removal proceedings will not be terminated. Wherever, if you have asylum claim and if you have approved asylum, removal proceedings are done. Okay, it's dismissed or terminated. However, if you have or if you are granted even withholding, removal proceedings are there, but it's just on a standby. You will receive a temporary work permit you can renew in finite okay? Then comes protection under CAT. Basically, it says if you have suffered severe mental or physical torture, trauma in your home country, and the government cannot protect you there, then we will protect you. And it can be severe beating, rape, forced ingestion of drugs, or something, whatever. So it's a severe form of uh, a harm that you have suffered in your home country. And whereas asylum is discretionary, meaning it's, it's on the judge to give you asylum. It's his discretion, his or her discretion. Uh, withholding of removal and protection of the CAD, if you can prove those, it's mandatory. There's no discretion. It's like they have to give you the protection. So I think we covered pretty much all these three kinds of uh, release yes. and the documentation. Thank you for diving into that. That was really helpful, and I appreciate the detail you went into for that. I have a question about having family members in the U.S. Does having a family member that's a U.S. citizen or a legal resident, for example, impact your case in a severe way? Or, or what are our options when we do have a family member? Sure. Now let's talk about the third rate form of relief, which is a cancellation of removal. So the third form of relief, that is a cancellation of removal, there are two different kinds of cancellation of removal. Also, the cancellation of removal gives you green card. That's number one. Or it protects your green card. Meaning, so cancellation of removal co uh, comes in two hands, two parts of it. Number one, regular cancellation of removal. Number two, 
LPR cancellation of removal, meaning somebody who is already a green card holder but has done something wrong in the country, now is being put in deportation or removal. Now we are filing cancellation for that kind of person. All right? So the requirements are, if it's a non-LPR cancellation, then 10 years of continuous presence. We have to prove that the person was in the U.S. for at least 10 years continuously. And the person maintained good moral character. And these are all documentation. Like if I'm talking about factors now, we can provide a whole lot of documentation to prove continuous presence like W-2s, taxes, this and that. Or good moral character, maybe we can have statements from family, friend, pastors, church. Church is saying, okay, you know, this guy has been here for like forever, like five years he's been coming here and we see he's a person of good moral character, high standing in the society and things that like, things like that. You can also show that you don't have any police record. You have a clean and clear record. And then you have to show that your family, which is a U.S. citizen or LPR, family member, parent, spouse, or child, will suffer extreme and unusual amount of suffering or harm if you leave the country. Here comes your family member. If you have family members in the U.S., the family members can protect you from removal. The form is cancellation of removal. We have to show unusual and uh, extreme hardship on your family members. That's number one. Number two, LPR relief. When you are an LPR and put into deportation, then you have to show that you have lived in the U.S. seven years continuously, and you have been LPR for five years at least. And same thing, good moral character you have, all right, and your family members will suffer extreme and unusual hardship. So there comes family members. This is for cancellation of removal. However, we have different forms of relief also. Suppose somebody is in, the, is in deportation and that person is a spouse or parent of a U.S. citizen or maybe a child of a U.S. citizen and, the, and this family member files a petition for the person who is in deportation and that petition is pending. We can actually go to the court and seek, basically you can seek a form where we say that can you please administratively close, meaning just put like a, like you know, just keep the case on the docket maybe, but keep it on the side. Do not proceed with this because this person is eligible for a relief which is called a green card eventually because the relative has filed the family petition. If the family petition is approved, then the person will be will be eligible for a green card. So if you have pending I-130 or an approved I-130 or an approved um, VAWA petition, approved SIJS petition, approved U visa, approved T visa, you can actually go to the court to ask for ask to administratively close your case. And then, so that you can go to USCIS to adjudicate your green card. That is another form of relief that comes if you have your family members in the U.S. That's great to know. Thank you for, for covering that in detail, Ishan. I know you mentioned talking about prosecutorial discretion. So do you want to cover um, what that is and 
and how often that comes into play and gives people a break? Just just a, a quick answer. We are defenders, all right? So we are defense. And then there is prosecutors. Prosecutors meaning attorneys representing DHS, Department of Homeland Security. And uh, prosecutorial discretion is their discretion. Meaning if they want, they can dismiss the case. They can simply join a motion or unilaterally just file a motion to dismiss, okay? In front of the judge saying, okay, you know, you do, we don't want to proceed with the case. So there are deportation priorities, basically. The priorities are like if somebody is a national security problem, meaning a threat to national security, that's top priority. Terrorists or the like, then that's a top priority. Then they have to remove those guys. Then threat to public safety, lower threshold, but that's top second tier priority. And then comes border security. If somebody is not amongst all these three priority lists, then we can basically ask prosecutorial discretion, asking DHS and their attorneys, which is OPLA, asking them to either dismiss the proceedings because they are not threat and we have asylum or we have other uh, relief for them, or maybe just join a motion to just administratively close so that they can go and get their relief from USCIS and then terminate the proceedings. Prosecutorial discretion is, a, is basically when DHS or their attorney are saying, okay, we don't want to proceed or maybe just hold on, maybe we will proceed later on. We can give them time to take their case to USCIS. Once it's approved, then they can do whatever. So it's that kind of relief based on if you are a threat or not. That sounds like the best case scenario we can get um, in this situation. So um, that's great to know okay. that. that is you'll, you'll be surprised to know, basically, they want it. Dismiss cases like anything. Why they want it? Because they are backlogged. They don't have staff. They don't have attorneys. They don't have even courts are backlogged. They, they would love to do it. So it's a situation for everyone. Yeah, exactly. Okay, Ishan, thank you so much for going into detail about all of those questions. If you had one piece of advice to give to somebody facing removal, what would it be? Last question here. If you have any do's and don'ts for, for going to immigration court preparation, give us your advice. I would have one advice, very, very important advice for both. The attorney who are basically who represent clients in the world defense and the clients themselves. Make sure your affidavits are not contradicting. I have seen a lot of cases where they have an affidavit, their spouse have an affidavit, and their friends have affidavits. And the, the information in the affidavits do not match. Dates do not match. What they have suffered do not match. And so many things do not match in, in, you know, in all these different affidavits. Combining together, there's a contradictory information that comes out. That's for your client. Now for attorneys, make sure you read affidavits. Because attorneys do not, because they don't have time, I don't blame them. They don't have so much time to read affidavits. Affidavits can be like, you know, so long. And then there may be like 50 affidavits, right, from different people. However, 
it's it's in your best interest and in, in your client's best interest to at least read and see if there is contradictory information or not. Because if there is contradiction, you will lose your case because entire defense strategy will collapse if one hit on the credibility of your client or the statement of your client. Credibility issue is a big issue in the removal defense process. So make sure the information that you are submitting is true, correct, and non-contradictory. Thank you so much, Ishan. I, I can't thank you enough for sharing your knowledge and insights with us on this topic. This does bring us to the end of our conversation. To stay up to date, please subscribe and follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube. And if you have any questions or suggestions, reach out to us anytime at info at Until next time, stay safe and take care. Thanks for tuning in. For more information about our work, please visit our websites at www.chook.com for legal and immigration and www.chook.net for tax. Be sure to subscribe to get regular business insights from the Chook LLP team.